How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in unborn children. It may lead to lifelong physical and or neurodevelopmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting to situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD. This is Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our little podcast. I'm Kurt Lewis, your host and friendly neighbourhood podcaster. In the past episodes, we have interviewed carers, doctors, experts about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and the issues surrounding it. Today, we are chatting with someone who has actual lived experience with FASD. I am joined by Jessica. Hey there, Jess. How are you? Hi, Kurt. How are you going? Nice to be speaking to you today. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad to be speaking to you too. It's not often I get to speak to people nowadays with all the COVID going around. Oh, it's crazy. It's craziness. <laughs> Definitely. Do you listen to podcasts or do you have any favourite podcasts? I must admit I laughed when you I saw this question come up. Podcasts are high on my list. I do struggle quite a bit starting new habits and just being consistent in my routine. So, And I've really wanted to spend more time listening to podcasts instead of mindlessly scrolling social media, which is what I usually do. Mm. And I wanted to switch to podcasts because I felt like that was going to be a bit more enriching than just mindlessly scrolling. So at the moment, I'm not listening to a lot of podcasts, but I usually seek out topics if I do, and I do like TED Talks a lot. Mm. I usually seek out topics on like self-development, current affairs, politics, science, the environment. I do like a lot of those sorts of learning topics, but uh, I'm also quite partial to true crime. I, oh, I, I love do, true crime. Yeah. I do <laughs> like true crime stories. I'm really, I really enjoy learning about behavior mm. and I, I find true crime interesting because it's, I like the idea of what motivates people and what makes people do the things that they do. So I'm kind of hoping that recording this podcast helps get me into the flow of uh, listening to more. <laughs> well, maybe you will look up our podcast by any chance. I'm, you know, Absolutely. Pregnancy and Alcohol, always a good podcast to listen to. Me yeah, just doing some... going to be high on my list. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so getting down to the nuts and bolts, what is it like living with FASD? Can you give me some examples how living with FASD affects your life? Sure. I get asked this question a lot, of course, naturally. Mm. I do find it quite difficult to answer really succinctly because there is just so many aspects and it infiltrates every sort of corner of my life. And then explaining all those different aspects can turn into a very long conversation. So I definitely will try and uh, give you the abridged version yeah, a lot of things sort of, a lot of issues could tend to intertwine with secondary issues. And so sometimes even things that might be insurmountable one day, I can achieve the next day, but often I get support. So me in a nutshell, I have a lot of sensory issues and a lot of issues with my autonomic nervous system. And that really wreaks havoc on how my body functions. And it causes a lot of problems for me and just my functionality. I develop headaches quite a lot. I get visual aberrations and even and migraines also if I don't adjust to the light properly. 
My heart jumps up into my chest whenever I hear loud and sudden noises. And I often get like surges of adrenaline whenever that happens. And that tends to, because I'm quite sensitive, that tends to happen over and over and over again in a day. And so that can make me very fatigued. So I deal with those sort of physical symptoms. I have also tachycardia, um, some other physical symptoms. But on top of that, I have issues with my cognition. So the longer I have to be actively processing information, making decisions, the more exhausted I'm going to become. Like a really big day for me can just be having a long conversation. Like I've already set some rest time apart. So after this podcast, I can rest to recharge before I go on to the next thing. And so that's something that I always have to consider when I'm planning my schedule, for example. I tend to have issues with rigid and literal thinking. I have problems with problem solving, emotional regulation, learning. I, I have been diagnosed with a learning disability and I'm, I'm a terrible multitasker. So these things really need to be considered all the time. And if they're not considered, if they're not mitigated, if I don't have the supports to sort of manage them, my days become quite difficult. And as the days progress, the more and more difficult, then my life becomes very difficult and things really fall apart. I'm myself, I'm really lucky. I'm lucky for the support my family has been able to provide me. And we just started receiving a little bit more support through the NDIS. Um, it was a very long process. And I guess what I can say is like in the way that it affects my life, there are a lot of ways that it affects my life, but I'll just talk about two significant ones. And one consequence that has been difficult for me has just been my ability to form long lasting relationships and long lasting friendships. And I've had a lot of heartbreak around that. I'm often misunderstood and, or can misunderstand people. And I've struggled to just maintain and sort of deal with conflict as well. And so I've spent quite a lot of time quite isolated from my peers without having the understanding of how I could fix it or what I was doing wrong. So I guess in my day-to-day -day life, taking on all the responsibilities expected of me can be quite difficult. You know, planning, problem solving, resource finding, taking action can be hard for me to do. People that I come across on a day-to-day -day basis they don't know I have a disability. I don't look like I have a disability. And so when I ask for help, sometimes the help is perceived to be in my realm of capability. Sometimes I can get fobbed off and I can get told to just work it out. And that can be quite problematic for me. And I can't work it out because that's what the disability is. <laughs> you were only officially diagnosed with FASD last year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Why did it take so long to receive a diagnosis and how has it changed your life? There's definitely a number of factors why I flew under the radar, but I will talk to you about the two biggest ones. So firstly, I'm quite sad to say this, is there was a real lack of knowledge and inquiry on the part of my healthcare professionals. And this was an issue throughout the entirety of my life. I, my mum started taking me to doctors and clinicians very early on. I was about four years old when she started noticing some sort of some peculiarities. And, and she was constantly told time and time again that these symptoms were behavioral and that I would grow out of them. And of course I didn't. I must note though, I have to say that my mum was quite attuned to my needs. And even though she didn't know what was going on, she often would naturally accommodate me. And I think mostly this was probably in an effort to stop me throwing 
massive tantrums <laughs> and and keep the household flowing smoothly and all that. I was definitely considered like the boss of the house, but it made a big difference to have those accommodations that she gave to me, like just organizational sorts of things and downtime. My environment was was nice and was the way that I needed it to be. And I the reason I say that is I think for some people there's this idea that because I speak well, that I'm somehow this lucky, high-functioning example of a, a person living with FASD. And it's just really not the case. I think high-functioning, the term is relative. And an incredible amount of work and effort and support has led me to being here today, speaking to you. It didn't just happen, you know. I, I wasn't just able. It's come through a lot of hard work. I guess I, I just really want to say we face a really unacceptable lack of awareness about FASD and the use of alcohol during pregnancy. And I feel like this is evident really in all facets of our society. And I really think considering the prevalence of this condition and how life altering it is and how critical it is to people's well-being, it's so important that it, this changes. We really desperately need our healthcare professionals to understand this, you know, to follow the medical guidelines and to make accurate and considered recommendations. I think for me, the second biggest reason that diagnosis didn't come quickly is basically around this idea that brain injury or that, that you can see disability, that you can see brain injury. And this is also just not the case. And, you know, I speak well, I present well, I'm polite, I'm smart. And it's difficult for people to see and understand that I can be all those things and still require support and still have things that are quite difficult for me. But speaking of support, this has been the single biggest game changer in my life. And it's only the diagnosis that actually has allowed these supports to come into my life. And it's absolutely been life-changing. Yeah. So as far as what it's done to me for my life, you know, before diagnosis and the awareness of how my brain worked, I looked to be on, I was just a shell of myself. I was confused a lot. I was very lonely. I was very depressed. I was anxious and I really was failing to thrive. Like things were really going downhill for me and I couldn't really keep on top of life. And that really created a lot of self-loathing and shame for me. And it took time to learn and accept my strengths and weaknesses. But I must say that, you know, my experience in this has really made me a vocal advocate for the power of diagnosis. It has completely transformed my sense of self. It has completely transformed my ability to interact with the world around me. And I'm a much, much happier person and I'm much, much more fulfilled because I have this knowledge. Wow. You blow me away, honestly. Uh, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> How do you cope with the symptoms of FASD? You, you mentioned you had some symptoms like the chronic fatigue, the sleeping disorder, the issues with the executive brain functions. How do you deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis? As best as I can, really. <laughs> Acceptance. Acceptance is a huge part of it for me. I'm quite an ambitious person and I've really needed to come to terms with the fact that I need help. I've had to come to terms with the fact that my life's journey doesn't look like my peers and also 
you know, that the things that I aim to achieve in my life or have wanted to, to achieve in my life, I have to accept that those things will probably come a little bit slowly for me, that other things need to be put in place so I can actualize those goals. But, you know, I find that with this knowledge, I've just been able to be a bit more kinder to myself and understanding those barriers has given me like a lot more joy and ease in my day-to-day life. One thing for me in particular is I need a lot of rest and transition time between my tasks. I don't adapt very well to new situations. I need time to adapt my for my thinking to adapt to the new task. And neurofatigue is a very significant issue for me. So I have some days where I just really can't process the things around me or take action in any real or functional way. And yeah, th- these days can make me quite disheartened. I I want to do and I want to achieve and I want to, you know, I want to have a full life. But now that I kind of understand that it's not because I'm not I'm lazy, it's not because I'm incapable, that I just need that those downtimes and I need those transition times, the emotions around it are, are much more manageable. And again, the addition of regular support has been a huge helping me actualize my goals. I have support workers that help me throughout my weeks and it just really helps me feel worthwhile. And I would have never thought that. I would have never thought that having that extra support would make me feel like I actually have a life. You know, I really need them. I need them to maintain my structure in my life, to maintain my routine, to to maintain my health. And before... I knew it was really difficult to ask for those things. I didn't know that I needed to ask for help for those things. And that's a significant difference. And I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just really grateful to have these supports. I'm so like, it's, it has been just life changing. I have FASD. I have FASD regardless of whether I have the piece of paper to prove it. But having that piece of paper has allowed me support and understanding and compassion. I have people who are so much more compassionate towards me and are so much more patient towards me just because I am able to to talk about this and I'm able to explain this and I have clear sort of medical condition. And so those understandings, they weren't given to me before I had this. I think diagnosis is so important. It is absolutely life-changing. I 100% agree, and it's always been mm-hmm. the kind of like the message of this show that diagnosis is important. I hope our listeners understand that after listening to you. I, if I didn't know that before, I definitely would have known that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so glad. Let's, <laughs> let's push. We need, we need proper diagnosis, mm. we need proper assessment, and we need the knowledge in the healthcare system, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. What do people say when you tell them that you've been diagnosed with FASD? I don't tell them very often. <laughs> I tell I tell people close to me, mm. but uh, the truth be told, I often don't say I've been diagnosed with FASD. What I tend to say is that I have a brain injury or that I have a hidden disability. And I do, I say it that way predominantly to protect my mother, to protect myself as well. But I really want to protect my mum from the stigma and the misconceptions about the disorder and what people thing you can say about about them you know for example such like you know that it only affects you know children of alcoholic mothers or minority groups which is just such a gross and pervasive i'm using pervasive a lot but it's a good word it's a good word pervasive (laughs) 
it's just such a it's such a gross misconception and it really needs to be quashed so i want to set the record straight to any of our listeners that my understanding is is that the highest percentage of FASD cases, and I think this is about 60% of FASD cases, happen when the mother doesn't know that she is pregnant. Often we don't know that we're pregnant until halfway through the first trimester. So, you know, there's a lot of time to drink in those weeks and a lot of damage can be caused during that time. So really, like, no one that I've told that I actually have FASD has known what it is. And they are often awkward. They don't know what to say. They change the subject. But being diagnosed late and having gone through this experience of discovery has been really huge for me. And to be honest, sometimes I wish people just wanted to talk to me about it. I wish they'd, you know, ask me questions and just engage me on it a little bit more. And I think that's because it's, I am talking to people like you, Kurt, and no FASD and it's something and it's a really important issue for me. And, you know, yeah, I wish there was a little bit more engagement for sure. I do feel like people kind of want to push it under the rug. They want to pretend that it's not there for me, but it, it very much is. But I do understand that people find it difficult to comprehend. They, I think they really struggle as well, particularly that brain function affects behaviour. Yeah. You know, there's this always this idea that your character is what affects your behaviour and that's just actually not entirely true. <laughs> if it's okay to ask, has the diagnosis of FASD changed any of your relationships with your family? I think it's only made my relationship better with my family. I have a small family and we're really close-knit anyway. But particularly like my mum, me and my mum, we're just like two peas in a pod. And I, I'm just so grateful for my mum. I just, I love my mum so much. And I would not be here without her. I would not be here speaking to you. I don't, I don't even know if I would be on this planet anymore if it wasn't for my mum. I was in a really bad way I yeah I was just a lost soul and I was incredibly unwell and everything felt hopeless to me I had no prospects I had nothing was going on and my mum came in and she said we need to find a solution and we need to fix this we need to know what's happening and it was it took five years it took five years of my mother's intense research and dedication and diligence to get me through this period of quite severe illness and and diagnosis and understanding what was wrong so really I I feel very much that I owe my life and my good fortune to everything that my mama has provided for me and the love that she has given me and dedication into seeing these supports and these improvements come into my life so I can have the best life possible. So I'm incredibly grateful. And we have a great relationship for it. Obviously, she's kind of like my 24-7 second brain. And so I do rely on her a lot and that does create pressure and, and we're very sort of interwoven I guess but 
we have a lot of fun and we have a lot of laughs and she's a, a deep confidant of mine. And I'll just quickly mention as well that I have this amazing baby brother. He's not a baby. He's 30, <laughs> but he's my baby brother. Mm. And the level of support and care and accommodation that he gives me every day is just, I just, I couldn't do it without them. Couldn't. It's great. Jeez, sorry. Uh, even I'm getting a bit emotional. Um, <laughs> Stop the- it. You'll make me upset. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. What are your plans for the future? Oh, this is a doozy. Look, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I have some ideas. I, I feel like my newfound awareness of FASD and my diagnosis of FASD has really opened up a lot of doors for me. And I really hope that I can continue to speak about the issues. I can continue to contribute where it's helpful and speak about this and advocate. I feel like that could be a path for me after so many years of feeling like I had no path and there was no place for me. I really hope to engage more people. I hope I can do more study that I can educate and really create a strong conversation, I guess, in Australia about this issue in conjunction with all the wonderful people and organisations that have already made such amazing contributions to the knowledge and awareness of this condition in Australia. So, yeah, I hope to do more of this. (laughs) I hope to reach more people and I hope I can do this and that people enjoy and get a lot out of what I have to say. I hope that it's helpful for people. On a side note or like maybe a side hustle, I studied graphic design Mm. and I quite like to draw. I like to illustrate. I have a lot of interest in visual communication and I... I hope to sort of incorporate some artistic projects in my awareness building as well. So I've got a few things sort of in the works in the back of my head, but uh, it's, it's all coming together, you know, step by step. Mm, well, I, I wish you all well with that. That's, that sounds amazing, to be honest. I'm, I'm horrible at drawing, so anything <laughs> anyone who can draw better than my stick figures is honestly like <laughs> discovering fire. It takes a lot of practice, I must admit. Even I feel rusty. <laughs> oh, it, it yeah, you must have put a lot of work into it. It's it's a skill. It's a talent, really. It is. End of the day. It is. A, you have to you have to practice. Yeah. So the final question, uh, it's the hard one, hardest one of the one. Oh, is there more our listeners could be doing as individuals, or we could be doing as a whole society to assist people with fasting? So for me. What I have found incredibly valuable in my interactions with people is understanding brain-based behaviour. So because obviously of the issues that I have, I've learned a lot of how, about how my brain works and that has really been eye-opening for me and I think it's really provided me the ability to understand other people better because when you have this understanding of how your brain function can affect the way that you behave with people, the way that you are in environments, the way that you respond to stimuli, I think that understanding has created a lot of a sense, a more sense of connection and a sense of compassion towards other people. I just feel like I can 
see people better, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that sounds a bit silly, but no, um, no, no. what I, I guess, what I wish is that everyone understood how the brain worked. That's what I wish. <laughs> because I think it's really fascinating. Mm. And I think it, I really think that it would not only help the individual in understanding themselves, but how they relate to the world and then how they relate to other people. And yeah. I just, I think that's such a, such a great topic and such a great for self growth. Yeah. So I think inquiry is important. I think, I think seeking out information about things like neurodiversity and spectrum disorders and having better understanding just so we can have a more, I think just a more unified society. You know, we don't other those people, you know, we, we can accommodate them very easily and they can thrive. They just need the knowledge and the support around them to be able to work efficiently in the ways that their brain works. Everyone has a right to have that, to have those opportunities and, you know, accommodations, people think like they're this big hoo-ha or they will uh, cause huge inconvenience. But like an accommodation can be as simple as only opening the curtain halfway instead of the whole way. Mm. So these are not difficult things that people can incorporate in their lives and it creates incredible amount of difference in the lives of those people that might may be affected by these sorts of disorders, just with this idea of inclusion mm. and acceptance and understanding. Just wanted to say you're amazing, Jess. Just going to put it plainly, honestly, you're very, Thank you very much. charismatic. I've been sitting, I don't know what the listeners are probably thinking right now, but I'm, I was very, very taken by your words. I'd, I'd like to thank you for coming on and speaking with me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And thank you so much, Kurt. Thank you for your kind words. And thank you for having me, having me here to speak. And I, I so appreciate having the opportunity to do that. And let's do it more. Yeah, we should. <laughs> we we should. Next time. Part two. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Please tune in next week for another episode of Our Little Podcast. If you like this podcast episode, then please show your support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. This project is funded by the National Disability Insurance Scheme, NDIS, in collaboration with NoFASD Australia. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to www.nofasd.org.au dot au